Hi there. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. A couple of times recently, I've woken up too early in the morning and I'm sort of panicking about the podcast going, oh no, what am I going to do? Because I want to make sure I've got something fun and entertaining for you to listen to uh, when I'm finished podcasting Gatekeeper's Deception and while I'm still finishing up polishing Griffin and the Spurious Correlations and making sure it's ready to go. So I'm like literally losing sleep over this. And then I remembered back in the day... Uh, not long after we were married, it was definitely pre-kids, when I worked for a bakery. It was a baking company, you know, like the one who makes uh, Nanaimo, sheet cakes, uh, Nanaimo bars and butter tart bars and strudel and, and uh, cinnamon buns and other kinds of stuff for the big grocery store chains. I did filing and so forth in the accounting department. And there were all of these sales guys who, you know, wore business suits and overcoats and had cell phones. And this is nigh on 30 years ago, remember. So not everybody had a cell phone. And these things were rather weighty. <laughs> In any event, these sales fellas were always a bit self-important and highly strung and would always be in high stress mode and racing off to meetings hither and thither. And this one day, one guy was kind of abrupt with my coworker. We're three days behind on this stuff, and we need it done now, now, now. Now I've got to go. I'm going to be late. And he tears off. And after he left, she turns to me and she says, You know, I want to point out to the guy, we sell cake. These guys are so full of themselves and worked up over dessert. And I think of that story every time I need a reminder about my priorities <laughs> and kind of puts things into perspective. So last week, Kier and Derry finally communicated, but Kian had set a plan in motion to assassinate Kier's parents. And Frederick was headed to the keep in triumph. Gatekeeper's Deception by Krista Wallace Chapter 33 Her Very Soul Seeping Sendra poured steaming water from the kettle into the teapot to steep while Tell hung his soaked riding cloak by the stove. The door that connected her back kitchen to the shop remained open so she could be aware of customers. I got the impression it isn't good news she has for them, Sendra said. But she didn't give you any clue, Tell asked. Sandra shook her head. I did try to explain Gareth and Della's position. I guess I was hoping to gain her sympathy, and then maybe she'd give me a... God's breath! The door to the shop banged open. Sandra flew through the connecting door to see Corporal Gorder fuming in the doorway. What are you playing at? the corporal demanded. Tell snapped to attention and saluted, but the corporal ignored him. You can't miss it, you said. Her eyes narrowed with rage. There is no cottage down that road. No cottage? Sandra gripped the counter and felt the blood drain from her face. Instantly, she recalled the one and only other time anyone had gone looking for Brendow's cottage and hadn't been able to find it. The messenger lowered her voice to an intimidating hiss. I am in a terrific hurry, and I strongly urge you to take me to the Halidans, or I shall have to bring you back with me to see Lord Barthelon. 
Sandra nodded, trembling, and threw on her cloak. She hurried to the door, hoping Tell would follow. The corporal hustled alongside her as she trotted up the road and turned left. When they rounded the corner by the trees, Sandra glanced up the lane anxiously. She breathed a sigh and stopped. There, you see, she waved her arm. It's right there. Tell smiled at her. As solid as ever, Brendow's cottage stood on the south side of the lane, its cross-hatched windows bedecked with planter boxes loaded with early summer blooms that quivered with the light raindrops. How could the corporal have overlooked it? The messenger's jaw pulsed. Her eyes flaming, she gestured with her head for Sandra to take her all the way to the door. Sandra supposed she might be afraid the cottage would disappear again, and maybe it ought to. The people who had been unable to locate Brendow's cottage had intended to kill him. What was this corporal's message? Sandra went ahead of her up to the front door. She raised her hand with trepidation. What trouble am I causing? Her breath came out in anxious shudders. Hurry up! I am nearly out of time, Corporal Gorder ordered. Sandra knocked, and after a few seconds, Brendow opened the door. Hello, Sandra. What a pleasure! Brendow, this is Corporal Gorder, Sandra said, a tremor in her voice. I have a message for the Halidans, the corporal announced, from Lord Kean Barthelon. A tiny muscle beneath Brendow's right eye tightened. Sandra wondered what he had guessed. Derry scrambled to his feet, hauling Kier up after him, and together they exited into the corridor. Kier hobbled along on her crutch and cursed her condition. Fennel peered out the door as they approached. He was grinning broadly. I'm so glad you're here, Kier. We did it. You did it. Kier slowed her already halting pace, uncertainty making her hesitate. I'm about to meet Alon Mare. These were not the ideal circumstances in which to meet one's hero. Fennel's smile changed as if he could read her thoughts. He laid his hand on her left shoulder and squeezed it. She felt his affection for her, and it gave her courage. The elf was the only one to whom she had confided her passion for undertaking the mission. He knew what this meant to her. Kier gave Fennel a nod and stepped past him into the chamber. It was startlingly familiar, exactly as she had dreamed, although the bed was nearer the window, and in her dream it had been night. There was the bureau, the little table, the wing-backed armchair, in which Janik sat, out of place with her memories. Kier could not see Jaskelin, but Skimnoddle and Harley, of all people, flanked the fireplace. Val and Kian stood by the bed, Val with a restraining hand on the high elf's arm. Kian's hand still twitched on the hilt of his sword, and his cold grey eyes regarded her with suspicion. A healer hovered behind the bed in case her charge required her attentions. The Lady Alon Mare was sitting up in the bed, propped with pillows. She held a mug of something hot, cradling it in both hands. Her face was thinner than Kier remembered, the hair tussled and tumbling over her shoulders like a blanket, the skin paler and looking dry like parchment. And of course she was in a nightdress, not a leather cuirass, but even without an introduction, Kier knew her for the woman in the portrait at Shale Castle. Emotions careered through Kier, the love and admiration she'd felt for this woman sight unseen, desperate relief that their efforts had paid off, yet the weight of Derry's, Kian's, accusation pressed down on her still. Would Alon recognize her? What would Kier do if she did? The silence of the room finally filtered through Kier's busy thoughts. She looked at Val, his face impassive as he watched her. 
She wanted to step forward, but her feet had frozen in place. Then she felt the comforting warmth of Derry's presence beside her, and she knew he wouldn't let anything go wrong. Fennel nudged her from behind, and she hobbled forward. The Lady Alon Mare turned her gaze to her. Kier's eyes fastened on the lady's face, searching for signs of recognition. For lack of a better idea, she bowed. "'I understand,' said the lady in a warm, smooth contralto, "'that you played a large part in this.' "'Great,' thought Kier. "'Can't get much more ambiguous than that.' Fennel appeared next to her. "'Kier was the one who spoke to Kami "'and relayed all the instructions for the cure, my lady. "'He refused to speak to anyone else.' "'Indeed,' Alon Mare said. "'That's something.' Derry cleared his throat. <clears throat> "'Kier was the one who found the way to enter the Inden Caves "'and found the final ingredient as well.' "'I knew it!' a voice cried from behind them. "'Kier turned to see Frederick Halen striding forward, "'looking as if he'd been struck with a branding iron.' Frederick didn't know whether to feel heart-wrenching dismay or rage. He'd hustled up the stairs and down the corridor, expecting Kian to be in his study. The door was open and glass was scattered on the floor. He'd hastened toward Kian's chamber, but had stopped at the open door to Alon's room. No one had seen him arrive, and glad as he was to see Alon awake, as soon as he burst in, he knew he'd somehow made a terrible blunder. Derry, he said plaintively, "'you said you'd speak on my behalf. "'When were you going to do that?' "'Out of the corner of his eye, "'Frederick noticed his lord's imposing figure "'and Val's hand preventing him from rushing into anything. "'But Frederick kept his eyes on Derry. "'Things have sort of changed, Frederick,' Derry fumbled. "'Frederick darted a glance around the room, "'frantically seeking his one known ally, "'but Jaskellen wasn't there to back him up.' "'Did you say anything about my side?' "'What is this man doing in my wife's room?' Kian said hoarsely. "'This could be Frederick's only chance. "'He moved forward and dropped to his knees before his lord. "'I am sorry if my appearance distresses you, my lord. "'I want only to prove my devotion to you. "'In spite of everything that happened in the past, I want to redeem myself.' "'When I heard my lady was ill, I was overcome with grief, "'and when I learned she'd been given a malison, "'well, I made it my one and only task "'to seek out the culprit and bring her to justice.' "'He found Alon Mare's eyes and led her gaze around to rest on Kier. "'Fennel let out a short hiss. "'What do you mean?' Alon said. "'To Frederick's surprise, Derry stepped toward him. "'You're right, Frederick. "'I did say I would speak on your behalf.' He directed his comments to Kian. Whatever the outcome may be, this man did join with us. He helped defeat our enemies and aided in getting the last ingredient. I believe his effort to have been sincere. What? Kier swayed on her unsteady feet and looked as if she'd been punched. Frederick nodded his thanks for Derry's words. The young captain even gave him a hand to rise. Were he to protest the captain's brevity, he'd risk looking ungrateful in front of Kian. At least Kier's suffering pleased him. He indicated her. My lady, surely you recognize this woman as the one who gave you the blue serpent necklace? Alon Mare squinted at Kier. I... I don't know. This is too much for my lady too soon, Roman's authoritative voice said. So you're the one who wrote the note... Kian ignored the healer. Frederick couldn't define his lord's mood, but he did have his eye on Alon's reactions. 
I did. Sir, these men are all Kier's friends. I can only imagine how difficult it must be for them to think ill of her. I want only that my lady's attacker be brought to justice. My lord, I... I wasn't sure you'd listen to me if I didn't get your attention first. Alon's with me, so Kian can't be far behind. He bowed his head. Kian, you can't possibly... It was that damned elf again. What do you know about the mirror in Kier's saddlebag? Kian interrupted. Frederick stopped mid-breath. Mirror? I know nothing about a mirror, my lord. Derry found Alon Mare's hand mirror in Kier's saddlebag. Frederick glanced at Kier, who seemed ready to collapse. He glared accusingly at Derry, who had kept that damning secret from him. I know nothing of it, my lord, but it sounds to me like even more proof that Kier was here before. His chest swelled with triumph. She gave my lady the necklace, stole the mirror as a souvenir, and then gated back to join her friends. Alon gasped. Clearly nobody had thought to mention Kier's ability to gate. Yes, my lady, Frederick gestured toward Kier. Let her deny that she gated the whole group of us from Bolivar Chasm to here. Let her repeat her claim that she's never been here before. She can't prove it, but her gating proves she was here. Roman said, I must insist. Fennel jumped up, pointing an outraged finger at Frederick. You'd do anything to try to clear your own name. You'd do anything to get revenge on Kier. Deny that. The whole room erupted in cries and flying accusations. Alon covered her ears. Wait, Derry cried. The hubbub stilled. I can prove Kier didn't do it. Frederick stared. So much for speaking on my behalf, you bastard. He watched intently as Derry took up a piece of paper and a pencil. Curiosity gnawed at him, but Harley's hand stayed his desire to move toward the other man. No one said a word as Derry began to draw. A log on the fire chuffed as it fell. Had the tension in the air been smoke, Frederick would not have been able to see Kier, even as she stood so close. Derry's pencil swished and scritched along the paper. There! he announced, dropping the pencil on the table. He snatched up the paper and held it up in front of Alon. Is that the woman who gave you the necklace? Alon leaned closer to the drawing. She peered at it, studying it. She lay back on her pillows and breathed deeply. Yes, she said. That's the maid who was here for a short time. I think her name was Misha. Frederick was stunned. Derry turned the page toward Kier, who nodded gratefully. Then he let Frederick see it. Derry had sketched an amazingly accurate likeness of that dark-haired bitch, Misty. Kier had not done it. The sketch was irrefutable proof. Frederick had no words. He stared at Derry, at Alon, and did not know what to do. Kier felt the heat of Kian's rage from where she stood three steps away from him. It emanated from him like a bad odor. The duke stepped forward, and the room seemed quelled beneath his formidable determination. Kier's knees quaked, and she stumbled. She had been upright for far too long in her weakened state. Derry reached out his hand to steady her. Where, Kian rasped, is this Misha? Kier glowered up at him. The duke steadfastly avoided eye contact with her. Misha is dead, my lord, Fennel said. Kier killed her to save Derry. That's how she got injured herself. 
Lord Barthelon's jaw trembled. In his steely eyes, Kier read his vitriolic resentment at being cheated out of vengeance. Vengeance. Something clicked in Kier's memory. Something about lives being forfeited. Kian, what did you mean when you said it was too late? Something about dairy being three out of four? Kian's breath caught. The only sound in the chamber was Roman, rubbing her hands together as she crushed herbs into the brazier. The heady scent floated through the air, any designs on soothing the mood lost on the gathering. Kian's milky white skin blanched to a sickly hue. He stared intently at a spot on the wall. It would be a good idea if I went to see Quiven right now. Pointing at Frederick, he growled, You will putrefy in the seventh hell for your part in this. Frederick quailed but stood firm. Valraker's black-clad form rushed toward them. Kian, what have you done? I must hurry, Kian fled to the door. The Haladins of Wrath might already be dead. Kier froze with terror and stared unseeing at the wall. Rondo Gorder worked as Captain Senad's clerk to conceal her true position in Kian's personal army. Even the captain did not know the depth of Rondo's skills. In her career, Rondo had experienced all sorts of odd occurrences, but the reappearance of a missing cottage full of people was the first of its kind. She'd questioned her sanity only briefly. There was still time to achieve her purpose and return to the gate, though she did not like being in a rush for such a task. She assessed the situation as swiftly as only a highly skilled assassin can. Damn it, she did not like an audience either, but an order was an order. She would take out the Haladins expeditiously, then she may have to contend with the bewhiskered dispatcher. Dispatchers were well trained, but she was Key and Barthelon's special messenger for good reason. The old man and the shopkeeper were inconsequential. The old man stepped back and allowed her to enter the large front room of the cottage. Her quick eye saw wall-to-wall bookshelves, a thick braided rug on the floor, a dining table in the corner, a much higher ceiling than was usual for such a place. Two people had risen from armchairs near the window. "'You are the Halladins,' she demanded. "'Do you have news of our daughter?' the man asked, which was answer enough. With a shake of her arms, Rondo had a knife in each hand and thrust." Kier collected herself after an instant and raced after Kian, crutch and all. Fed up with the sling holding her right arm, she snaked her hand out of it. The shoulder didn't hurt as badly as she expected it to. Glad something's going well. Stop, she called after her duke. He did not look back. There isn't time, he flung open the door to the stairway. Screw protocol. Stop now, Kier yelled. To her surprise, Kian halted. He turned and stared at her as if she were the first person in Rydras to ever give him an order. Val pulled up beside her and grabbed Kian's arm. You ordered them killed? Kian pointed crazily at Kier with his free arm. I thought she'd killed my wife and child. Two lives for a life. To him, it was an incontrovertible right. You got some crummy note and you ordered my parents murdered, you bastard? And you think I'm not going to be upset about it? She didn't try to keep the growl out of her voice. My wife was dying, Kian said with terrifying intensity. And where do you think you're going now? She demanded. Kian spread his arms wide. I'm going to stop it. Quiven has a gate open this minute. If you want me to stop it, you'll not interfere. There isn't time for that. 
Kierre took a deep breath, not even sure she could do this deliberately. Instinctively, she pressed her hand to her medallion through her tunic and concentrated. She felt energy draw through her body, though the metal remained cool. Her head quivered just a little. She was astonished as the two dukes when an iridescent archway appeared before them right in the center of the corridor. Amazed at how easy it was, she nearly lost it, but narrowed her eyes and held on. She'd guessed who she needed to speak to first. The gate had opened directly in front of Brendau's back door. "'Try going this way,' she said. Valraker pushed Kian through the gate. As Kier started to follow him, he raised his hand, pushing her back. "'No, Kier,' he said sternly. "'You cannot come.' "'You're mad!' Rage flared. "'My parents are being assassinated!' "'Exactly. You will stay here,' Val ordered. "'You will reopen this gate in one hour to bring us back. For now, it will close.' He went through. Shaken, Kier obediently closed the gate and hated Valraker with the fierceness of a subjugated dragon. She couldn't feel her feet. Her whole body was numb, and she felt as though she were floating several inches above the stone floor. In the deafening silence of the corridor, she saw only red as she blinked at the spot where the gate had been. Frederick saw his hatred mirrored in Derry's eyes. Neither spoke. They didn't have to. Frederick knew what he was thinking. Every person in the room was thinking the same thing. Frederick Hayland had tried to bring Kier Halliden down. He was the one responsible for Kian's action against her parents. If they died, guess who would be blamed? I am not sticking around here for Kian to come back and slice my body into bite-sized pieces. He had to move, and the time was now. Derry shook his head. Don't think you're running off. Well, the detestable captain could warn him all he liked, but a quick dart of a glance confirmed Frederick's suspicion. Their safety more or less assured inside the keep, the others were all unarmed. Frederick, on the other hand... He drew his sword. Extending it before him, he described a semicircle, making eye contact with each of his foes. Harley stood nearest, his face unreadable, but his attitude too relaxed to be trusted. Janik's fingers twitched, his stump of a body poised to strike. The stupid halfling was frantically thinking of a way to stop him. Fennel just looked dazed, and Derry... Well, Frederick had to admit that the young captain seemed to have matured, or something. Really, I must ask you all to leave, the healer insisted. Her stern voice made everyone jump, and Frederick saw his chance. He whirled around to race for the door, but Harley had anticipated his move and was quicker. Snatching up the tea tray off the cart that stood next to him, Harley tossed it in Frederick's face. The teapot smacked his eye, and the cream pitcher emptied down his neck. Hot tea soaked his borrowed waistcoat. Harley used the diversion to leap over and shut the door. Frederick crushed a porcelain cup with his boot as he plowed through the mess. Derry's breath was all too close behind him, but Harley was the only one between Frederick and escape. His former mate was reaching for a chair to block his exit. In doing so, Harley'd opened himself up. Frederick slashed him across the gut, and the stench of blood oozed into the room as he bounded over Harley's body. "'Turncoat!' Frederick hissed at the gasping man below him. Skimnoddle threw himself down at Harley's side, effectively obstructing Janik's attempt to stop Frederick. Derry grabbed his right arm as Frederick reached for the door. Frederick slammed the pommel of his sword into Derry's head and the captain went down. Frederick flung the door open and sped through. He wasn't alone. Fennel was right behind him. He made to dash toward the stairs but crashed into a still figure. It was Kier. 
She slammed into the wall, not even making a sound. But she'd given Frederick an idea. Before she could complete her slide to the floor, Frederick hauled her up. Both arms around her, he held his sword to her neck. She was so wasted, she had nothing left to fight him with. Fennel halted his pursuit mid-stride, stricken with fear. "'Don't, don't do anything stupid, Frederick,' the elf pleaded. Kier sagged against him and moaned. Frederick smiled. This couldn't be working out better. "'Out of all of them,' he said quietly, "'you were the one who wasn't convinced. "'I got through to the others, mostly, but you... "'You were never going to join my team, were you? "'Smart ass. "'And now you're going to let me go "'because you know as sure as you're a pretty boy elf "'that I hate her, "'and I will kill her if you so much as raise a hair "'to stop me leaving.' Fennel's breaths came in short puffs. Frederick clenched Kier tighter and tested the edge of his blade on that slight stickiness of sweat on her throat. He longed to draw it further and feel the scrape as her flesh opened beneath his blade. But she was no good to him dead. Not yet. Stop it, Fennel said, nearly whimpering. Frederick nodded toward the staircase. Walk ahead of us. Make sure nobody makes a move on me or Kier's going to hang out with the gods. You got that? Roman dashed across the room, uttering heartfelt expletives in a foreign tongue. Derry's head throbbed, but he'd be all right. Janik aided him to a sitting position. Skimnoddle was kneeling by Harley's side, holding his hand and rocking to and fro. Derry had much to learn about the halfling, who one moment had all the boisterous confidence of an actor, and in the next was as vulnerable as a child. Roman demanded cloths and water and a myriad of other items which Janik fetched her from the supply by Alon's bed. Alon lay still and alone. Warrior that she was, she told them she was fine and insisted Derry help those with more urgent need. Roman sent Skimnoddle to find Jory, her apprentice. Derry had to trust that Roman would get Harley's bleeding under control. The captain wished his new man well, but he had to find Frederick. As he hastened out the door, he collided with Jeskelin. "'Good God, what has happened?' the mage cried at the sight of Harley, the blood, the broken tea-things, and a lot of missing people. "'No time! Where's Frederick?' Derry rushed by, and Jeskelin didn't respond. There was no sign of Frederick, nor Fennel in the corridor. Kier's sling was tossed aside, and her crutch lay on the floor against the wall. A closer examination revealed flecks of fresh blood between the stones. Dread constricting Derry's throat, he raced down the stairs, Jeskelin's bare feet rushing along after. Kier was thinking as hard as she could, which wasn't very hard at all. She searched numbly through all the little pockets in her mind where she kept her thoughts and memories. There were so many to sift through, yet nowhere could she find a memory of a day quite as bad as this. Sure, there was the day her boyfriend was cross with her for deciding to leave Hrath and accused her of betraying the whole village. Practically every day she'd gone to school was up there on the list of crummy days. Oh, and there was the day she killed Simon Diddick in Wanaka, but that was also the day she met Valraker, so it couldn't have been so bad. There was even the day she'd been taken by Ronav, beaten almost senseless and nearly mutilated by his men. Yep, that was a fairly bad day. But even that didn't hold a candle to this day. Frederick had tightened his arm around her, but thankfully had taken his sword away from her throat. 
It wasn't that he was a gentleman. It was that he needed that hand for balance as he dragged her down the steps. She wasn't much help with her injured leg, and the bastard had let her crutch fall to the stone upstairs. Pain shot through her from all angles, and she struggled for breaths, yet at the same time she felt virtually nothing at all. Now, on top of that, she'd passed out in the foyer, been accused by her best friend of trying to kill Alon Mare, and narrowly escaped decapitation by Key and Barthelin. After finally being exonerated, she'd found out her parents might very well be dead at the hands of Kean's assassin. She'd opened a gate purposefully and consciously for the first time, which had exhausted her more than she'd have figured, and she'd been ordered to stay behind. Because all that wasn't quite enough to prove her mettle to whomever wanted to know about it, she'd been bashed into a stone wall and was now a hostage for the cur Frederick Hayland, enjoying the rare luxury of being hauled unceremoniously through Barthelen Castle, down the front steps, and across the flagstone courtyard she'd admired earlier. She noted that it was still nice and flat. She also noticed that her shirt front was sticky with blood from her own neck. And that damn mirror! Her name had been cleared, but the question still stood. How in seven hells had Alon Mare's mirror arrived in her saddlebag? Frederick's grasp slipped, and she nearly blacked out from pain as she stumbled. Frederick cursed at her. She hopped on her right leg as he heaved her along. Under normal circumstances, Kier knew she'd have been able to come up with some beautiful cutting remarks with which to torment her captor. Today she had nothing. Exhausted didn't cover it. Faint was only part of it. Shattered was starting to come close. Ah, she recognized that smell. Stable. Oh, thank goodness for the dimness of the indoors. Hi, Trig, if you can see me. Frederick shoved aside a dispatch rider about to mount his horse. The fellow protested, but stopped when Frederick's sword-tip aimed at his eyes. Frederick leaned her against the horse's flank and growled at her to climb on. He helped her with this. What a gentleman! And got himself seated behind her. He'd put his sword away, but she felt a dagger at her side. As they rode out of the stable, the afternoon sun made her cringe again. She wasn't sure, but she almost thought she'd seen Fennel standing there. Odd. That might have been his voice, too, crying, Let them by! Let them by! as she and Frederick and the horse passed through the castle gates and ran hard toward the sun. Gates. She'd made a gate to Brendau's house, to save Gareth and Della. She was aching and weak with hunger and exhaustion, and her parents might be dead. Suddenly a sob choked itself out of her. What a lousy day. So we've beat the smugness out of you, and at last we see the real Kier under that supercilious act. Frederick spit off the side of the horse. You're no better than me. He sheathed the dagger, and they galloped westwards across the grasslands. Frederick turned to look where they'd come, and Kier heard him swear. He urged the animal onward more swiftly. Something whizzed near them and stuck in the ground, startling the horse. An arrow. Frederick wrestled the animal under control. Apparently they were being pursued. Evidently, Frederick realized his time was up. He slowed the horse. He punched her hard in the ribs, so hard her breath caught. He then tipped her sideways and shoved her off the horse. She landed on her right side and her plastered left elbow caught against an object, a thing embedded in her side neatly between her ribs. 
Kier gasped for air between jolts of pain and tried to clasp the dagger. She couldn't reach with her unbending left arm. With a groan of agony that sounded like scraping stone, she rolled onto her back, but her wounded right shoulder did not permit her right hand to reach over for the knife. I guess he thinks I deserve this. Frederick leaned onto the pommel of his saddle and smiled down at her. Well, darling, he said matter-of-factly, I know you thought the sex was great. I'd screw you one last time before I go, but I don't have time, and besides, I'm not into doing it with corpses. He kicked the horse's sides. So long, he called, and raced off. Kier writhed among the buttercups, her mouth grasping at the air. She felt her very soul seeping, dripping, trickling out of her along the blade of a knife. She stared, unseeing, into the azure sky. She watched Derry whirling and smiling on the dance floor. During that same time that I worked at that bakery some, you know, 30-some-odd years ago, we needed to buy a new mattress. We were living paycheck to paycheck at the time, as we did for many years. So when we found one we wanted to buy, we decided to put it on one of those payment plans because we didn't have the $600 or whatever it was. Now, Matt was a freelance theater technician and at the time was a venue tech for the Fringe Festival. For those of you not familiar with this, it's a theater festival that takes place in several major cities across North America and the globe. It actually originated in Edinburgh. It's about two weeks of plays and performances in in pop-up theaters around the city. And theater companies often travel from city to city to perform their shows in each festival across the country. So it's pretty amazing. Matt, like I said, was a venue technician, which meant he was working crazy hours setting up for the festival and doing tech runs with each of the performances that was going to be in his venue, while I was working nine to five in the office at the bakery. So I went to the store to fill in the paperwork for this mattress we were buying and putting on a payment plan and gave them all my employment info and so forth. Then they said I needed my husband's signature. Now, here's how my mind worked. To me, my husband and I are a partnership, so naturally if we're buying this thing together, then it makes sense that we both have to fill out the paperwork. And like I said, Matt's hours were nuts, and it was really tricky to find an hour for him to get away from the theater, race to this little store to do paperwork, and get back. It was a problem. It was inconvenient. But we managed it. I picked him up, and we got to the store, He signed the paper, and I got him back to work. Now, maybe you're ahead of me on this. Here is where my brain finally went click, and two things fell into place. One, Matt was a freelancer. He didn't get a regular paycheck. No bank would ever have loaned him 20 bucks, whereas I was working full-time. And two, and here's the real kicker, Matt walked into the store and signed the paper. They didn't even ask him for ID. After all that stress of picking him up and getting him there, I could have just grabbed some random dude off the street to sign the papers. It didn't matter to them who he was. It didn't matter that I worked full time and he did not. What mattered was that he was a man, 
my husband. A woman couldn't put a large purchase on a payment plan without her husband being involved. My God, we were so pissed off, both of us. But we'd already filled in the paperwork, so we couldn't exactly change our minds and take our business elsewhere. What happened was we told my mom about it, and she was so freaking mad that she went into the store and paid the bill for the mattress, so at least they didn't get any of the interest from the payment plan, and then we paid her back. And that was very nice of her. I became much more aware of bullshit like that and don't let people get away with it. Now, this was 30 years ago, and things are better, but believe me, shit like that still happens. Next week, my friends, is the penultimate chapter of Gatekeeper's Deception. Certain ends will be tied up, certain conclusions will be reached, though of course it is not the end of the story, so thanks for sticking with me. Thank you, family. Matt, David and Heather, and Maggie. Thank you to David and Sharon. Cheers to the original six, and thanks especially to you for listening. Now, go be fantastic.